I'm Bonnie Harrison and welcome to the Details Long Read. Today, because we're heading into New Zealand Music Month, Counting the Beats, a story from Garth Cartwright published in the May issue of North and South. Meet the man painstakingly working his way through New Zealand's entire popular music back catalogue and reissuing rare sounds which would otherwise be forgotten. Grant Gillanders is sitting in his garage in Orewa, north of Auckland, surrounded by boxes of CDs, records and recording equipment. A youthful 68-year-old who still wears his hair a la Paul McCartney, Gillanders is New Zealand's foremost expert and enthusiast for homegrown pop music, spanning the post-World War II era to the 1980s. He is a true obsessive, a man determined our popular music culture will not be forgotten. New Zealanders are great at making music, Gillanders says, but the problem is we tend to underrate ourselves. I guess because we get bombarded by British and American music, we feel we're not that good, but we are, he says. Do any of the following ring a bell? Larry's Rebels, The Formula, Dinah Lee, John Rolls. What about Golden Harvest, Daphne Walker, the Māori Volcanics, Peter Poser, Howard Morrison, the Chicks, Ray Columbus and the Invaders, Tommy Adderley, Johnny Devlin, Bill and Boyd, Max Merritt, Ragnarok, Ray Wolf, Gray Bartlett. Though some of those names are more familiar than others, their songs should set off an earworm. All are musicians who enjoyed national, and for the lucky few, international success in the 1950s, 60s, 70s and 80s. They may not have achieved the status of a Dave Dobbin or a Neil Finn, but each singer or band made groundbreaking music, recording hits that defined their eras. Surely they deserve at least a degree of the attention our cultural guardians lavish on the likes of McCann and Baxter. There's so much great Kiwi music out there, says Galanders, yet most people would struggle to name artists from last century, Beyond Split Ends, Dave Dobbin and maybe Dragon. It's a shame that we don't pay more attention to what we recorded. It's at our fingertips, and often it's as good as overseas efforts of the same time. Like many baby boomers, Galanders grew up loving the Beatles, as well as the Kiwi beat bands of the 1960s. I was born the same month Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock was released, he says, and I left school in December 1969 the month the Beatles broke up, so my life has been shaped by music. I've always been an observer, someone who loves to chronicle things, and ensuring that Kiwi music is made available is very important to me. Across that decade, Aotearoa produced huge numbers of pop and rock bands and singers, many of whom enjoyed stardom here and in Australia while releasing 45s and LPs in unprecedented numbers. Galanda's lifetime mission is to preserve and promote those who made the music we danced, romanced and partied to. Initially, he did this via compiling best-of albums, while working through the early 2000s for EMI and then Sony, which owns many New Zealand artists' master recordings. But with multinational corporations largely withdrawing from operating on a local level in the digital age, Galanda's launched his own label, 
Frenzy, in 2009. Frenzy, named for the 1979 Split Ends album, reissues homegrown recordings of pop, rock and show bands, country singers and crooners, even old novelty and comedy songs. His reissues include New Zealand's first ever pop album, Bill Wolfgram and his Islanders' South Sea Rhythm, a 10-inch disc released in 1956, and Golden Harvest's eponymous 1978 debut album, Rescuing Them from Oblivion. He's also seen the formula reunited for shows off the back of Gillander's driven re-releases of their songs and made new earworms of old ad jingles. Grant deserves a knighthood for his contributions to New Zealand music, says music writer and broadcaster Simon Grigg. Without Grant's tireless efforts, many of which are at his own cost, the legacy that makes us who we are musically and broader culturally would have been lost. It's impossible to overstate his contribution. As a five-year-old, Galandis was given a portable record player by his grandfather. From then on, he requested singles, 45s, as presents. While other kids played cowboys, I played records, he says. His father would buy and bring home records discarded from takeaway bar jukeboxes for his son. An incessant radio listener, Galandis remembers hearing Howard Morrison's 1959 hit My Old Man's in All Black and registering it as a local record. Then, in 1964, his mother informed him that Ray Columbus and the Invaders, then riding high in the charts with She's a Mod, were Kiwis. It was at that point that a now 10-year-old Galanders started collecting local artists. This wasn't easy. His family had, by this point, relocated from the Auckland suburb of Te Atatū to the more sparsely populated Whangaparaua Peninsula, cutting him off from the city's then-thriving music scene. In 1967, The Small Faces and The Who played Auckland's town hall, and I was desperate to attend, he recalls. But his parents wouldn't let him leading him to begin a hunger strike in protest. They wouldn't budge, so I started eating again, he laughs. Boy, was I disappointed. Galandis left school at 15 and headed back to the bright lights, or at least to where the sounds were happening. Cafes, unlicensed venues, and the university-hosted concerts open to teenagers, many of them free. He became a pastry chef, working at the French bakehouse in Takapuna, At the start, I was the only non-French person there, he says. He flourished in his work and became immersed in the local music scene. But the child of the 60s found the 70s wanting. I can't stand long guitar and drum solos, so those heavy bands weren't to my liking, he says, before adding that he also couldn't stand the two prevalent smells of the era, B.O. and marijuana. The hippies dressed in caftans and tie-dye shirts while I was wearing winkle picker shoes, a tight Davy Jones mod jacket, smart slacks and paisley shirts. I was counter the counterculture, he says. In 1974, Galanders married Carol Irving and 49 years later they still do pretty much everything together. Her big eyes and red hair reminded me of Scottish pop singer Lulu, he says fondly. She was my only girlfriend and I'm her only boyfriend, and we've been a team ever since. 
Galanders continued to collect and chronicle music while still working as a pastry chef. In 1980, he and Carol changed gears and invested in video equipment, shooting corporate videos for a living while videotaping local bands at the weekend. He headed to live music venues like the Glue Pot in Main Street to get the scene on film. One of these recordings, of the singer Ray Columbus, ended up changing Galanda's life. Ray was surprised that anyone was interested in him as a performer, he says. He was a total gentleman, and by getting to know him, I got to meet other Kiwi musicians. I'd always been an observer, but now I was beginning to engage with these people I'd admired for so long. Columbus, who died in 2016, was one of New Zealand's pioneering rock singers. While leading the Invaders, he topped both the New Zealand and Australian charts in 1964, a first for a Kiwi artist, with She's a Mod, and was the first local artist to release a full album of original songs. The Invaders toured as support to the Rolling Stones on their 1965 tour to Australia, New Zealand and Singapore, and Columbus then spent two years as a solo artist based in San Francisco, working the same venues as Janis Joplin and the Grateful Dead. After hanging up his mic, Columbus became a respected television presenter. At the start of the 1990s, Columbus and Galandas pitched both Television New Zealand and the then-new Channel 3 with a concept for a documentary series on the history of Kiwi popular music. Both stations dismissed it as not being of interest. But the promo episode that already shot led to freelance work for the Galandas, filming the bands performing for TV3's pop show Frenzy. By now, Galandas was an authority on local musicians. And when Shane Hales, a.k.a. Shane, 60s heartthrob hitmaker and Loxene Golden Disc winner, the New Zealand Music Awards of the day, expressed disappointment with EMI for refusing to issue a CD of his hits, Galandas approached the label on his behalf. EMI explained that the Hales master tapes were something of a mess, but noting Galandas' enthusiasm, suggested he put the CD together and write the sleeve notes. The resulting 2001 compilation, St Paul, The Very Best of Shane, was such a success that EMI asked for more homegrown compilations. He came up with a list of ten possibilities, and EMI said yes to all of them. This launched a partnership that would see Galandas compile 20 more CDs and lasted until 2010, when EMI closed its New Zealand office. Two of these titles ended up receiving international acclaim. A Day in My Mind's Eye, a collection of psychedelic pop and rock tracks made by Kiwi artists between 1965 and 1969, was released in 2005. Not only was this compilation a revelation to Kiwis, Few local music fans were aware there had been a lively and somewhat controversial psychedelic scene taking shape here when pubs still closed at 6pm. It garnered international attention as psych rock aficionados across the globe revelled in the long-lost sounds. Lots of people who lived through that scene can't remember it, notes Galanders. I observed it from a distance, so I can remember it all. A Day in My Mind's Eye has now run to five volumes, with Galanders digging out not just rare 45s, but demo tapes, radio performances, and live recordings in his attempt to thoroughly document the scene. No stoner left unturned, I say, joking, and he laughs. 
The next assignment involved gathering the formula's entire recorded output and would result in the second acclaimed release under Galanda's direction. The Upper Hutt Band's run was relatively short, from 1967 to 71, but in that time they scored 10 hit singles, including Nature. In 2010, Galanda's gathered all the band's 45s, three studio LPs and one live record, sought out the tapes of an unreleased 1971 album, Turn Your Back on the Wind, then researched, art-designed, produced and promoted the four-CD box set The Complete Formula. Galanda's calls formula easily the most gifted Kiwi band of the 60s, describing their songwriting and harmonies as exceptional. In the end, the compilation garnered such acclaim that the band reformed after 39 years to play concerts in Auckland and Wellington. Under Frenzy, Gillanders not only compiles and writes the notes for each CD, he and Carol also design, license, transfer, remaster, distribute and promote each release. It's not so much a cottage industry as a small Orewa townhouse industry. I have to do everything because I need to keep my overheads low so as to ensure I can make a bit of money, he says. An average frenzy release is a run of 300 CDs, which Galanders estimates costs between $1,600 and $1,800 once you tot up licensing, mastering, design and manufacture. From any profits, royalties are paid to the artist or their estate. I don't count the time we put in as a job, he says. It's just what I do. I don't try and make money the label's reason for existing. I try not to lose money. As for the intense hours he and Carol put in, he says time isn't really something he factors into the whole endeavour when you're having this much fun and making so many people happy. His international reputation has found Galanders working with London-based RPM Records, reissuing for the first time in Europe albums by Alistair Riddell, Ray Columbus, Larry's Rebels and The Formula, as well as the three-CD box set How Is The Air Up There, which contains 80 tracks from the 1960s. Some 50 years after the original recordings were made, DJs at European modern freakbeat clubs started playing the Ladi Dars and the Underdogs, while the music press gushed about the down-under garage sound. Considering we all grew up loving the Beatles and listening to BBC broadcasts, it was an honour to think our bands were now being recognised in the UK, Galanders says. Frenzy continues to focus specifically on CD-only releases. They have reissued only a couple of rock albums on vinyl, Yet CD sales are in sharp decline. I wonder if Galanders fears the end is nigh. Not a chance, he says. Actually, with the warehouse no longer selling CDs, things are better now, as they demanded we supply them at cost price. This punished independent record labels. Marbex and JB Hi-Fi and Slowboat Records in Wellington take frenzy releases and really get behind them. And I have distributors in Australia, Japan, USA, UK. The interest is international. Vinyl looks great, but it's expensive and bulky. Well-mastered CDs offer exceptional sound. They're my favourite medium. As for streaming, 10,000 streams earns around $10. So when that happens, I tell the artists they can buy a coffee and a cake. 
The Futures list for Frenzy includes lost recordings of Māori choirs and 1980s one-hit singles. Soon to be released is a history of Scottish Highland bands, which were, according to Galanders, popular in Aotearoa in the 50s and 60s. Sounds niche? Indeed, but niche can be broad. The label's biggest selling release is Kiwiana Goes Pop, a double CD with the cheese mascots Ches and Dale on the cover and their 60s-era TV commercial song Kicking Things Off. They're joined here by John Clark's, or Fred Dagg's, the gumboot song, the country calendar theme, folk peons to Prime Minister's Norman Kirk, Big Norm, and Robert Muldoon, the ballad of Robbie Muldoon, and more. Released in 2012, Kiwiana Goes Pop sold nearly 10,000 copies, leading to a volume two featuring a KFC commercial song, among much other nostalgic nonsense. Galanders proudly calls Kiwiana Goes Pop My Life in a Song. It's just so much fun, and people loved those compilations. They contain a lot of local humour and ingenuity. Lacking academic qualifications, Galanders once worried he also lacked writing skills. But his sleeve notes prove he's a wry, observant historian. And, in 2019, he co-authored with the writer Robin Welsh, Wired for Sound, The Stebbing History of New Zealand Music. A hefty, fascinating tome documenting how the late Aldred Stebbing laid the foundations for the local music industry. Stebbing began by promoting dances for US servicemen during World War II, started recording artists in his basement, set up record labels to release the recordings, manufacturing shellac 78s, followed by vinyl and cassettes, then opened Stebbing Studios on Auckland's Jervois Road, which is still New Zealand's foremost recording studio and managed by Eldred's descendants. And it continues to evolve, this year launching a new vinyl pressing plant. I signed a contract to write a book of 70,000 words and delivered a first draft of 180,000 words, says Galanders, still seemingly surprised at his own obsessive energies. Robin Welsh, who is married into the Stebbing family, came on board to help with the family history, and we ended up with this epic book. For a boy from Whangaparaua to have done such... Well, I'm quite proud of myself. And so he should be. With his razor-sharp memory... Galanders is determined to keep chronicling Kiwi music for as long as he's able to. I've got a lot of things underway, and yes, it's not always easy. Some artists say, give me a thousand dollars when I approach them about reissuing their recordings, which is ridiculous. I'm willing to lose a few buttons, but not my shirt, he laughs, a happy man. Carol and I love what we're doing, so why retire? was Counting the Beats by Garth Cartwright, who is an Auckland-born, London-based author, critic and journalist. It was published in North and South's May issue. The Details Long Read is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. We'll be back next week with a new long read. Ka kite anō.